folks, and welcome to the Sense and Theory podcast, where we cut through the bias and extremism in order to find common ground that brings us together. I'm Sense. And I'm Theory. And today we're going to tackle the big enchilada or the big... The big peach, the big, the big, uh, we're doing impeachment. Who's excited? Well, apparently not you guys, because <laughs> CBS actually had to cut their airing of the impeachment uh, midday yeah. after the Vindman testimony no, because no, well, the ratings actually, were so low. Yeah, Vindman was actually testifying and, and they went on lunch break. And when they came back, uh, CBS decided to just go with regular programming. So, yeah, it's because, crazy because yeah. this is like something that never happens or very rarely happens, shouldn't yeah. Uh, very often happen um, to one of the most widely contentious presidents uh, in my lifetime and ratings for the impeachment hearings are low. Yeah. What? Well, I, I think, I think some people, um, I think a lot of people who did watch it's, it's because of like the novelty of it and like, you know, the historical moment, mm. uh, you know, like seeing the testimony and everything. Um, you know, I mean, we've still got loads more hearings and stuff to go before oh, yeah. we reach the end of the road here. But I think that is a testament to the fact that largely people's minds are, are fairly made up. Yeah, I think you either right think that. you did something wrong or you think you did something right. And what's the point in watching all this stuff? Yeah, you know, and, there's and not going to be trust your news organizations to bring you uh, to bring you the, <laughs> yeah. the skinny on what's actually going down. Ironically, if you're a Republican and a Trump supporter, you're listening to Fox News, who has a completely different take. Than uh than the uh democratic maybe media the yeah. mainstream media on the other side so let's uh let's frame this bad boy up and and you know just kind of set on what exactly is happening what are we talking about so if you're living under a rock uh the Democrats have started a inquiry uh to see if they want to move forward with an impeachment process against President Trump and the accusations against Trump in regards to this Ukrainian phone call situation. Uh, They boil down to this. The Trump administration delayed the release of a $400 million security aid package to the Ukrainian government in order to leverage them into an announcing an investigation into Hunter Biden and Burisma Holdings. That's right. And that that aid package is part of an ongoing effort by the United States to bolster Ukraine's ability to hold its own against Russia. So um, it includes money for weapons and training troops and and I believe missiles as well. Yeah. Um, you know, weapons for the troops. Uh, essentially, uh, you know, Russia is is at war with Ukraine and we're helping them hold the line. Well, I, I think war is a little bold. Uh, that's, you know, they're, I don't know. I've heard some people call it the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. It's, <laughs> it's hot and cold. Things happen and then they don't. Uh, but that's absolutely what's happening. Part of that money uh, was also, you know, just to, bowl, uh, to bolster like the uh, coastal defenses and security and stuff. Uh, it'd be the equivalent of helping out like our Coast Guard and stuff. Mm. So it's not, it's not absolutely all missiles and stuff like that, but it is uh, largely money to, you know, let the Ukraine be like the bulwark against like Russian aggression. Right. Um, What's important to note about this is the Ukrainian government has pursued investigations into Burisma and its owner, uh, Mikola Zlopchevsky. That's that's my best shot Uh, as part of ongoing efforts to root out widespread corruption. uh, But there is no evidence that points to Hunter Biden being involved in any of those matters. For instance, uh, Hunter Biden actually uh, went to work for Burisma 
uh, some months after the investigations into Burisma on the Ukrainian part were announced. Right. So, I mean, any corruption that was going on with Burisma would predate Hunter. Right. You know? uh, I will say that Hunter Biden accepting a position on an energy company in Ukraine indicates corruption in and of itself to me <laughs> in that Hunter Biden has absolutely no business, no experience uh, being on this board other than to curry political favor with his father. But that's a conversation for another day. Well, I, I will say we should take a quick aside and say perhaps the most damaged person through all this has been poor Hunter. And and we're not going to go into all of it, but man. Poor crack smoke and steal my brother's wife, Hunter <laughs> Biden. Poor, poor guy, huh? Poor, poor Hunter. millionaire. $50,000 a month to, to to curry phone calls with my father. like Yeah, poor old Hunter has okay. been having a real tough 2019. Mm, um, but the problem is is that he is being used um, as a distraction, right? So that's, that's the thing is like throughout this, it's not like Trump and the Republicans are, you know, accepting these charges and being like, yeah, well, you know, just straight up there's nothing wrong with it. Their contention is that Hunter Biden taking that job for Burisma um, does indicate that there was something untowards, unseemly going on uh, in the Ukraine with the Obama administration, and they want to have it investigated. I, I say that that's what they're saying now, because originally <laughs> that's not quite what they were saying. Uh, Trump originally said that the reason they were up, you know, withholding that aid to the Ukraine was because they wanted to highlight the fact that Europe wasn't putting enough that's right. money into bolstering the Ukraine against Russia, which that should be your first clue there that something's wrong. Like when the stories about these, this phone call and stuff broke, his first reaction isn't what he's saying now. His first reaction was, oh, this had nothing to do. Hunter Biden, Burisma, what are you talking about? And I think that decision um, to kind of play it off and, and shift the focus, um, I think that snaps into focus for us when we start seeing later on uh, what the witnesses say about what happened. Right. Uh, we start to get this picture of something very, very wrong that people at the highest levels of the White House are watching happen um, and reacting to. Yeah. So we'll get into some of that as we kind of draw the, the picture of the timeline. Right. As it, as it stands now, though, to kind of sum up the, the Trump camp's response, uh, as it were, to the charges that they're facing... Uh, they're saying that, you know, they've got Biden on video bragging about withholding a billion dollar aid package until the Ukraine fired uh, prosecutor Victor Shokin. I saw that footage. Um, it's pretty, yeah. pretty wild, man. And it is straight up what he's doing. But what should be noted is that Victor Shokin is is widely accepted to, to be one of the more corrupt people in the Ukraine. Right. Um, he has all these ties with uh, Rudy Giuliani, who's been going over there and meeting with him and everything. And 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 when Victor says, oh, I was getting ready to investigate Hunter Biden, which he says now, uh, it largely seems to be as a result of the meetings that he's had with Rudy Giuliani and seeing the Trump camp, uh, you know, hold him up as, you know, oh, poor Shokin who got fired and everything. When at the time uh, it was widely believed, even the International Monetary Fund withheld funding from the Ukraine until Victor Shokin got fired. Right. You know what I mean? So it's not like Biden was like out there on his own being a cowboy and holding up this billion dollar aid package. There was wide consensus in the government that it needed to be held up. 
And there was also the EU, the IMF, and you know other organizations that were saying, Victor Shokin's got to go. He's right. part of the rot. Um, another thing that the Republicans want to point to is there was a political report in January of 2017 that the Ukrainian government had been helping or colluding, as it were, uh, with the DNC and the Hillary campaign in much the same fashion as was, was being alleged against the Trump campaign with Russia. And, with Russia. Now, here's the thing: is like you know, when you boil it down, what you've got is, to me, largely coming out of the Mueller probe, is you've got that meeting at Trump Tower, right, where they met with the the representative allegedly from the Russian government who was going to pass on Oppo research. Sure, right? they wanted that dirt on Hillary Clinton. Well, here's what Politico found. Politico found that the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States office had funneled oppo research to Alexandra Chalupa, who, and it is Chalupa, who then passed it to the DNC and also made an effort to help journalists uh, dig into Paul Manafort. So the Ukrainian uh, ambassador's office in the United States was facilitating uh, to the best of their ability oppo research into, you know, Trump's camp, Paul Manafort, they were passing things to Chalupa. She's passing What's them on to the What's good for the goose is good for the gander, right? <laughs> <laughs> but in fairness, uh, at least by, she was not acting any sort of official capacity for the DNC. She was passing things largely to the DNC. It was then passing it to Hillary's campaign. So there are some degrees of separation. And, you know, the Ukrainian government, as far as anybody's been able to tell, uh, did not authorize or there's no link where the Ukrainian government was telling the ambassador's office to do this. Right. You know. I, I think in the with with the Russian influence on our election, uh, we can clearly see uh, that the Kremlin is involved at the highest levels. You know, this yeah. is a program. Oh, you got um, KGB or you know, whatever, FSB people involved. Right. Know, hacking and so on and so forth. Right. Uh, this uh, much smaller scale, I still don't like it. Yeah. Um, I don't like, I don't like that, that we just, our only, our only way to win elections is to damage our opponent, you know, instead yeah. of, yeah. instead of saying like, here's what I'll do for you. You know, I, I don't like it. It's scummy. It's gross. Um, but I don't think this defends Trump at all. I, you know, I, well, that's the thing. So I, I will make mention of, you know, one last thing The the prosecutor who took over after Shokin, uh, his name is Yuri, uh, Lutsenko. He alleges, and now he's the guy that come after Shokin, and you know, supposedly you would hope would be a little bit more cleaner than Shokin was, right? Uh, he alleges that Marie Yovanovitch, who was the uh, U.S. ambassador to the Ukraine, um, basically told him that the United States did not want him to investigate certain entities and stuff over in the Ukraine. Oh, and was Burisma on, and, on that uh, list? Uh, Burisma was in there. There was a uh, you know a couple other organizations that he named. And and again, the Republicans point to that and they say, see, there's there's something going on over here. So when Trump yeah. was on the phone, uh, you know, with the Ukrainian leader and saying, I want an investigation and all this stuff, he's just trying to get to the bottom of the corruption. Well, the problem is, uh, you know, Lutsenko, he kind of he waffles. He goes back and forth. He's facing corruption investigations. <laughs> now. You don't say. I mean, it's, it's a cesspool over there. And I think and that what's important is like what you just said. If the president asked for this investigation and withheld funds from the Ukraine for personal gain, none of that matters. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the key question. Like, so was he investigating corruption or was he simply doing it for personal gain? Well, 
to me, you got to look at the timing, right? If if Trump made this request before Biden had announced his candidacy two years ago, three years ago, um, you know, all this stuff was out then. Right. Um, yeah, political I, articles since January of 2017. Right. Yeah. I'd have no question. There would be no qualms with me. Um, you know, you're investigating corruption. That's fine. You ran on draining the swamp. Here you have found some swamp-like activity. Let's look into it. No big right. deal. But the timing on this, right before the election, right after Biden announces that he's running, um, I just, I don't, you got to be kind of a dummy to do that. Um, it just, it just looks bad. The optics look, look terrible. Yeah. Um, but also what it comes down to is that I don't think Donald Trump actually cares about corruption. And I think if you look at the testimony of, of Sondland in particular, that sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Um, if, if Donald Trump is investigating corruption, he seems far more concerned with the announcement of the investigation rather than actually, you know, a functioning investigation happening. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, here, here's the transcripts from Sondland's testimony. And uh, can, I, you know, can I play Schiff? Yeah, I'll tell you what. You be Schiff and I'll be Sondland, all right? And in order to perform that official act, a meeting in the Oval Office, Donald Trump wanted these two investigations that would help his reelection campaign, Correct. I can't characterize why he wanted them. All I can tell you is that what we heard from Mr. Giuliani. But he had to get those two investigations if that official act was going to take place, correct? He had to announce those investigations. He didn't actually have to do them as I understood it. And later, when questioned by Democratic counsel Daniel Goldman, I'll play Goldman. Uh, and I'll keep doing the 1940s voice. <laughs> Giuliani and President Trump didn't actually care if they did them, right? I never heard, Mr. Goldman, anyone say that the investigations had to start or be completed. The only thing I heard from Mr. Giuliani or otherwise was that they had to be announced. President Trump, presumably, communicated through Mr. Giuliani, wanted the Ukrainians on record publicly that they were going to do those investigations. You never heard anyone say that they really wanted them to do the investigations. I didn't hear either way. So, well, yeah, if, if you if you listen to Sondland... What's clear is he, he does say that he didn't hear either way, but nobody was worried about the investigations taking place. Everyone's talking about, let's announce the investigations, announce the investigations. And if that's what is being stressed by Giuliani and, and you know everybody else around this deal, then why is announcing it so important? It can only be to hurt Biden. Right, right. Yeah, the, the public perception is, is, uh, is what's at play here. And I, I think... <laughs> The only way to ignore this is if you're just going to like write off Sondland as a Democratic double agent or something. And I, you know, I watched the testimony. I, I can't do that. He, he seems genuinely concerned. Um, you know, I don't see any reason to think that he's, that he's making this up. And right. later on, and, and it's corroborated by multiple people yeah. um, across multiple departments. Yeah, I mean, Trump Trump has quite the problem because if that wasn't his intention, that was at least the perception of multiple people who were working directly on this thing. They thought that's what they were doing. Now, there are a couple people, uh, you know, Volker and stuff, we'll get into the testimonies, uh, who said they didn't know. But, uh, you know, Fiona Hill, Vinman, uh, they all kind of got the impression that that's what was happening. So uh, at, at 
<laughs> he at least wasn't very clear about this very important uh, corruption investigation that he wanted. Um, now, I say that, but there are some times where he was very clear, where he says, I want nothing on the phone with Sondland at one point. And I want no quid pro quo. I am not a crook. Yes, it's not quid pro quo and, and all this stuff. But what's important to note is that like all of those things, virtually every single one of them, and you know, as they're pointed at to by the GOP and stuff, uh, that takes place after the whistleblower is known to have come forward, after they know that there's an issue with right. this phone call and it's going to be drug out into the light of day. And, and if Trump's uh, kind of explanations for his behavior have not been consistent, there is one thing that has remained completely consistent the whole time, uh, and that's that President Trump and Fox News uh, and a small handful of legal experts have been loudly declaring that this impeachment inquiry is a sham, or as Trump says in his own words, the greatest scam and witch hunt in the history of our country. Uh, the White House a little less enthusiastically called it illegitimate and unconstitutional. Um so I think in in grand sense and theory fashion, mm-hmm. uh, I have to take both sides kind of you know at face value and and dig into this. Uh, is this impeachment inquiry unconstitutional? And I gotta say, man, nitty gritty, uh, the House unequivocally, I'll quote the Constitution here, uh, shall have the sole power of impeachment, and that's about all it says. Uh, from there, we've got to look at what precedent. Yeah, you, uh, you're, case you're not going to find House rules. You're not going to um, find any safe haven with me because I, the the Congress gets to pursue. I mean that that is the bulwark against corruption in the executive, right? Sure. The Congress gets to pursue impeachment virtually uh, any way that it wants to. Um, yes, we can. You know, there's there's nitpicking about rules and and going back and forth and all that stuff. But but make no bones about it. It is Congress's purview to pursue impeachment. So largely, if a duly elected body of Congress votes to proceed a certain way, it's constitutional. Right. That you is, know what I mean? Yeah, there's there's really no bones about it. Unless it's expressly prohibited, unless there is something in the Constitution that expressly prohibits, uh, you know, the way that they're acting. Right. And, and there's not in this case, and the irony is that uh, Democrats here are actually using the playbook uh, that Republicans wrote for this type of inquiry uh, back when they actually held the majority. Mm-hmm. Um, and as is completely typical in American politics, everyone has completely flip-flopped on whether these rules are legit or it's not. It's an absolute bizarre world. Uh, Up so, is down, black is white. Right. So Adam Schiff has defended these closed-door hearings uh, as completely above board. He's compared it to a grand jury proceeding where you know we're gathering evidence to decide whether we want to go to trial. Makes perfect sense. Uh, four years ago, though, Schiff completely slammed Trey Gowdy for abusing these same rules during the Benghazi hearings. Uh, Schiff said... He brings a capable lawyer side to him here, but the pressure has been immense to focus on damaging Secretary Clinton, and the chairman has allowed the committee to be used for that purpose. And, you know, that's exactly what Republicans are saying about this inquiry. Yeah, and it, um, well, and it strikes it strikes to the heart of what I think is a common uh, misunderstanding about this inquiry. I think 
I think to an extent the GOP has been able to slide some criticisms through because people think that we are like in the full swing of impeachment. Right. And and this inquiry isn't like no. that. It is very much so um a combination of what would in a normal criminal proceeding be the detective's investigation and then seeking the indictment like rolled up into one. That's what this is. You're calling witnesses up and you're seeing if there is enough uh, smoke and, and, you know, fire behind that smoke in order to proceed with full blown impeachment proceedings. So from a standpoint, um, this is absolutely what you want. Uh, you don't want to just launch into an impeachment without investigating it. Right. Right. But you have to allow that investigation to take place. So all these claims about, uh, you know, it's unconstitutional. Trump's due process has been violated and so on and so forth. <laughs> what due process? There, there is yeah, no he's due saying, process. I want to call the whistleblower forward because I have a right to face my accuser. Like in what uh, in what regard? You're right. not in court, homie. Right. <laughs> you're, you're not indicted yet. Um, anyone remember way back in 2012 when uh, Eric Holder caught hell with Republicans during the Fast and Furious hearings? Um Scandal-free presidency. Right. That angelic Obama administration who would never do anything like, I don't know, refuse a congressional subpoena because only dictators do that, right? Tell me. <laughs> yeah. Only only dictators order their people to refuse congressional subpoenas. And Eric Holder. <laughs> right. And <laughs> Eric Holder. And, and what did Republican Trey Gowdy have to say about that at the time? He says, bring the Republicans, bring the Democrats and bring the bull moose party and bring the Whigs, bring them all. But that does not mitigate this attorney general's responsibility to comply with a subpoena from Congress. Right. Sounds good, Trey. Holy cow. We fast forward to 2019 and Gowdy goes on Fox News with this humdinger of a, of a reversal. I mean, that's all that's all you can call it. Congress, as a co-equal branch of the government, can ask for whatever they want to ask for. Now, it doesn't mean you have to show up, and it doesn't mean you have to talk, and it doesn't mean you have to produce documents. I mean, folks, this we've talked about this over and over, how our team sports attitude and ignoring when your side fouls uh, and calling foul on the other side when, when, when they foul, it, we just all lose. Right. I mean, here we are. Our teams are are completely flip flopping and reversing decisions. And I'm not saying these are these are equal. You know, these these situ. I'm not saying the Benghazi hearings are equal to the impeachment hearings. Well, it, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, if if what's because think about it, these are all investigations, right? So you have to go into the Benghazi investigation or the Fast and the Furious investigation or these this impeachment inquiry uh, with with you know uh, without your bias, right? Right. Who knows if there's anything at the heart of it when you're starting, when you're going through the process, which is when all these quotes happen. The question is whether it's okay for the president to tell his people, his his administration, not to answer a congressional subpoena because he thinks the investigation is worthless. And you know what? That's exactly what Democrats did during the during the Benghazi hearings. Uh, Pelosi said, "This is a sham." This is a witch hunt. There's no reason for us to even participate. And you know what? I mean, they they more or less cleared her, although the emails she kept on a private <laughs> server and only forked over 300 that were handpicked by her attorneys. But that's neither here nor there. The, the point is, when we're attacking the Trump administration for uh, for denying these subpoenas, you got to scratch your head and go and go, well, why? Um, and I, the supreme irony of this is that 
um, of course, before these subpoenas, subpoenas uh, uh, were denied, uh, a, a Supreme Court case just died over the Benghazi stuff. Uh, yeah. It was supposed to get heard in the Supreme Court whether a, whether a president could actually tell his people to deny a subpoena. But guess what? They said, ah, this is all old hat. We're not even going to hear it. Gone. Yeah, it doesn't, so, it doesn't matter anymore. The Benghazi hearings <laughs> are long gone. Uh, right. Why would we ever have to worry about that? And that's one of the problems is that, you know, because the, the Trump's claims for, you know, why these people don't have to answer the subpoenas. And uh, I, I don't think Holder necessarily used executive privilege. He might have. I'm, I'm, I can't remember. But Trump is definitely trying to use executive privilege. And the problem is, is that executive privilege is this amorphous thing, right? So the idea, uh, I think we've discussed it on the show before, is that, you know, the president does have, uh, you know, a right to some privacy when consulting with his advisors. And, and the idea is because if every time they talked about whether or not they were going to bomb a country or, or whether or not they were going to support this person or, or whatever, if those proceedings and those discussions and everything was made public every time, it could impact us on the world stage. It could, you know, uh, create. Oh, sure. You got ambassadors making decisions out there like, like, oh, shoot. Now I know we've got this contingency plan to bomb the shit out of Ukraine. Maybe I shouldn't pass this information along in case I cause this chain of events to pop off. Right, like, right. It, there, there are some things that a president should should hold secret. But the thing is, is like, so while I, I also like, in a sense, see a need for it, but we need to really get down and define it. And we've never really done it. We're still running off of like Nixon era and, and, and you know, W. Bush era uh, legal counsel opinions and, on what executive privilege constitutes. And to me, seeing Congress as a check on the executive, I think that a congressional subpoena needs to be answered. And I, and I yeah. think that's what happened. And didn't Nixon even catch, uh, catch flack for, uh, wasn't that part of his official of impeachment was that he was denying subpoenas from Congress or impeding, yeah, well, he, impeding congressional investigation yes, it's a situation. Yes. Yes. It's right. A situation so, that come up. and, and, and I feel like that's the case. Although looking at this incredibly divided partisan system, we've got ourselves two party system. We've got ourselves locked into like, I can't help but but see that just being used as a weapon right as as a way to slow down uh, a president and make him look bad in an election season just like is happening now well that's, you know let me subpoena all your aides and let me subpoena let me find any bit of dirt we can we can throw at you uh to to cause supporters to not vote for you well that's that's the problem with the way that we're doing these things is you can't ever how are we ever going to nail down uh, you know, what executive privilege constitutes or what the proper proceedings before an inquiry are if both sides are going to flip-flop every eight years or right. every four years, right? <laughs> because I can't build consensus with Trey Gowdy because he's completely reversed himself based on who it hurts. I can't build consensus with Adam Schiff because he's completely reversed himself based on who it hurts. Right. So, you know, you're constantly in this shifting place. And, and the other thing is, is that it lets... Uh, you know, people who want to distract you from certain issues point to those things and say, see, there's something untoward here. There's something sure. there's something scandalous that's happening that's going on. They're they're giving him a raw deal when when again, I'm going to come back to it like Trump withheld the money and he did so for personal gain to hurt Biden. That's that's the core of what we've learned from that. So, right. Even so, if Democrats have done something untoward, even if they're using 
this impeachment hearing as a political tool to harm him during the election, even if they know that impeachment is not going to go through the Senate. Right. Um, that doesn't change the fact that Trump has done this thing. Right. I, that's incredibly important to remember. He most certainly did, and they most certainly have. Let me let me tell you about what I, I like to call some old bullshit that we've seen during this, this impeachment inquiry. If you're Adam Schiff and you're going to be chairing this inquiry and, and we're up against Trump, right? Someone who likes to lie and, and twist the truth and, and fake news and allege that there's a witch hunt and impropriety and stuff. Why would you open the proceedings by paraphrasing the transcript of the phone call <laughs> in, in ridiculous and kind of cartoonish fashion. I Very mean, like cartoonish and, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, you know, part of me when he says like, you know, ship was like, you know, this, this, when Trump says this, this is what he's actually saying. And then he started, you know, going on, Hey, I'm, I'm going to bribe you and all this stuff. Um, I, I'm not saying he's wrong necessarily, <laughs> but it's unnecessary because immediately Republicans jumped on it. They said, look, here he is putting into congressional record a version of the phone call that doesn't match up with the only document that we have. And it's, uh, the, and he's know. absolutely, and they're absolutely right about that. And there's no absolutely reason right. for and, Adam Schiff to do that, and except s- to, except to gather support, right? Except well, to be a drama queen, except to be a Trump, except to gather support and grandstand much like everyone made fun of Trey Gowdy for doing back during the Benghazi hearings, yeah. right? So so why is he doing, like, you know, all the grandstanding and stuff? And why would you lie about having previous, or your office at least, having previous contact with the whistleblower? The only reason <laughs> I could think of for why you would lie about trying to, is because you think that Republicans are going to instantly seize on it and say, look, you know, Schiff has been in contact with the whistleblower. They've and, cooked this whole and thing. They've up. cooked this whole thing up. They've coached him on what to say. Well, guess what, man? They're still saying it, but now they also get to say that you initially lied about it. Right. So why would you do that? Like it, it doesn't make any sense. And I think what it amounts to is that in a, in a sense, this isn't really important to Adam Schiff. His goal here isn't to to see justice done or to see Trump brought down or anything like that, the same way that Trey Gowdy doesn't really care about Benghazi, in my opinion. You know, I, I really don't think he does, and I know I'm harsh on politicians sometimes, but I, I think that what they want to, uh, the objectives that they are chasing have more to do with power, influence, their own personal advancement and stuff. And this stuff is just the window dressing that they clothe themselves in so that we'll keep voting for them. And Devin Nunez, you're not exempt from that. <laughs> all the, you're, you're, you're an idiot. And all the dumb stuff that he's done during this proceedings are in the exact same vein. Yeah, Mr. <laughs> Mister what about? I mean, if there ever was a time to call whataboutism, it's Nunez in these hearings talking nonstop about Biden and Barisma and uh, about anything but the matter at hand. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So they they part of the part of the conditions for the inquiry was that the GOP got to recommend some witnesses uh to be called up before the panel, right? Well, the rules that the House <sighs> voted in, you know, when they did the resolution to start the inquiry said that Adam Schiff got final approval, right? You know, like it or leave it. That's that's what it was. Adam Schiff got to approve him. So here we go again. If you're Adam Schiff, why wouldn't you approve virtually every witness that wasn't just completely ridiculous right. that the GOP well, submitted? I think that 
again, this is largely about public opinion. It's not about the truth necessarily. And I think if you let um, the GOP put in their guys who are going to say, you know, completely contrary to what your damning witnesses say, it just throws cogs into the public uh, public opinion machine. And that is that is what they're afraid of. That is what they don't want, because make no mistake, this is about the election. But I it was about the election for Trump and it's about the election for Democrats. Right. But I think suppressing it does almost the exact same harm. I agree. Because now, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm saying, well, I'm only hearing one side of the story. right? Right. Now, flip that over to Nunez. Right. When you're asked to submit that list, why not make it hard? Right. Like even. okay, let's let's play his game. Let's say we're playing politics. Why wouldn't he submit a list that was hard for ship to turn down? No, he goes on there and is like, I want the whistleblower to testify. Nunez, the whistleblower is not going to testify, bro. Yeah. Like we all know how whistleblower laws work. Like the whistleblower is not going to tell you. You've lost your mind. Right. And 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 the, the Republican base, you know, Fox News picks this stuff up and they run it and people run with it. Yeah. And they support the president because now it looks like well, a witch hunt. I think sometimes, yeah, no, I think it backfires on them. Like, for instance, they did the focus group and the focus group told them that they should start calling it instead of quid pro quo, they should start calling it bribery. And as soon as Schiff and, and all the talking heads and news and stuff, all the as news soon organizations, as they the next all started day. saying bribery. All of a sudden, the polls dipped, and people didn't support impeachment. Why? Because this isn't because it's not bribery, right? What, what we're alleging, you know, what, what what supposedly happened here is not a case of bribery. Maybe extortion, and closer yeah, to extortion. It's closer to extortion than anything. And so, in overreaching, now I think those polls have recovered since we've seen that testimony. Um, but in overreaching, they they started eroding their support. Stop it. Stop, you know, playing the political games, but they're never going to. And the reason is, is because Adam Schiff and Devin Nunez don't really care at the end of the day because they're still going to be in Congress. Right. You guys are going to elect them again. Yeah. You're going to elect Adam Schiff and you're going to elect Devin Nunez because Devin Nunez is the best choice I got versus the other guy. Right. And Adam Schiff and, and is he's the best fighting choice I got the evil the of the, He's fighting the evil of the socialist Democrats and... Uh, you know, and on the other side, we're fighting the evils of the Republican Party and right. pick That's, up the torch. This thing reinforces what we've been saying for so long uh, to me. And that's that we got to break out of this because if not, like the world is run by Adam Schiff's and David Nunez. Right. Man. Or by political parties who are going to tear each other down in spite of the progress we could make. Um, and that's what kind of what I'm kind of afraid of with this this whole impeachment process is that from here on out, impeachment may be used as a political tool instead of yeah. as a legit check on the executive. If when uh, Elizabeth Warren gets elected in or Bernie Sanders or Biden, whoever whoever makes it through, you know, even if it's four years down the line, Trump gets reelected, the, the next president is going to be subject to this idea that, hey, we can just start an inquiry and start subpoenaing people and draw them in, and we're going to find something, uh, something to take you down, something to slow you down, something to harm you uh, during elections. And, man, that is not how successful governments are run. It's just right. not. Well, I think one of the one of the important ways that – or one of the factors that might stave that off at least a little bit – is that people still have a tendency to recognize the truth. And I think the truth uh, is is fairly clear in this case. Like I said, 
once we started seeing the testimony and stuff, we saw those poll numbers start to swing back in favor of that's impeachment right. and, proceedings. And I think that's because in order for this to be some scheme that the Democrats cooked up, there, there are so many people involved and text messages going way back. It would just have to be a massive organization, a massive effort of conspiracy for this thing to be false. I mean, you've got uh, a text, text message from Volcker, uh, the U.S.-Ukraine ambassador, on 725. This is right after the phone call. Um, he says, good lunch, thanks, Heard from the White House, assuming President Z convinces Trump he will investigate slash get to the bottom of what happened in 2016, we will nail down date for visit to Washington. Good luck. See you tomorrow. Kurt. Yeah. Uh, and and this indicates that Kurt Volker uh, assumed, thought, yeah. knew that, that this the investigation and the White House visit quo. were absolutely tied together in a quid pro quo. Right. And right. and also signaled this to Ukraine and, and now they know. Mm -hmm. Um, so to me, that's kind of, that's nailing the coffin stuff. Um, you've got Lieutenant Colonel and don't ever let me forget to call him (laughs) Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, uh, says an ambassador Sondland in front of the Ukrainians, as I came in, was talking about how he had an agreement with chief of staff Mulvaney, for a new meeting with the Ukrainians if they were going to go forward with the investigations. And my director for Ukraine was looking completely alarmed. Mm-hmm. And this is Lieutenant Colonel Vindman, uh, who was actually present for the, the July 25th phone call with Zelensky. And immediately after that phone call, he goes and grabs his twin brother, Yevgeny, uh, who is also a White House ethics lawyer. Uh, and goes to White House lawyer John Eisenberg and says, hey, uh, we think the president's crossed a line here. Uh, Vindman then reads him his own transcript of the call, and John Eisenberg decides, hey, let's move that transcript over to this super top-secret classified server that no one gets access to instead of the server that these uh, these State Department uh, phone calls are usually stored on. Yeah. Um, and And... Everything else aside, to me, this is a huge red flag. I mean, when ethics lawyers approach you uh, and say, hey, we, we think the president's screwed up here. This is this is major. Do you do you immediately hide the evidence or do you be do anything else? Yeah. And I, I think you do anything else. Um, other than hide the evidence, it just why else? Why else are you are you putting this phone call? Well, there's, there's on this server again. There's no reason to if if there's if the president's aim is to investigate corruption, right? Right. I, I'm, I'm gonna say that again and again. I think, in, in my opinion, um, if there is corruption that's going on in the Ukraine that just so happens to affect Biden, then I don't think that there's anything or involved Biden. I'm sorry. I don't think there's anything wrong with the president saying, hey, uh, you know, we're going to hold up this funding until you launch an investigation because there are things that affect American national security and are pertinent to us. And we want to get to the bottom of it. It's it's again, it's the fact that it wasn't about rooting out corruption. It wasn't about getting to the bottom of what happened. That's why, again, it took so long for it to get launched. And when it and when he did ask, he just asked for an announcement. Right. So. If he if what he's saying that I wanted to root get to the bottom of corruption is the case, there's no need to move that transcript over to that server. The None. only reason you move the, the 
transcript over to that server is because you don't want the People American to public it. to yeah. get access to it. Absolutely. Um, and keep in mind that transcript is the basis for the transcript that the White House eventually released, which is a transcript of a transcript that the White House has admitted is edited and yeah. is not verbatim the transcript that exists on that server. Um, and Vindman specifically recalled uh, during his testimony that President Zelensky specifically mentioned the company Burisma. Uh, and that is a detail that is not included in that transcript released by the White House, uh, which just raises questions about how accurate that you know, copy of a copy actually is. And, yeah. and if you think that, that it hasn't, you know, had all of the, the, the very pertinent information that, that nails Trump edited out, I think you're crazy. Yeah. I mean, all things point to, to this is what happened. And there this, was a cover up. This is another place where executive privilege comes up and, you know, everything I said about executive privilege was standing. There is no reason why uh, the gang of eight, or at least, or the intelligence committee in a closed session. Cause I mean, think about what the intelligence committee is already privy to. Um, I, I understand if you're worried about leaks, there are a ton of leaks, but you know, I would clamp it down. I would show it. Uh, I would show the actual transcript of that phone call to certain select people. I'd even, you oh, know what? Sure. I'd so even, I'm saying the phone call was perfect. So yeah. put Vindman's transcript in the hands of people that matter. Right. There's no but reason saying, not to. That, that's what I'm saying is this should be one of the limits of executive privilege. I mean, this is something that's pertinent. Right. I understand why it would be covered by executive privilege. But at the end of the day, Congress in a situation like this needs to see it. And so there has to be some sort of way, some exception, some however we want to arrange it. For when a matter like this comes up, Congress needs to be able to bypass that executive privilege to see this particular right. thing. And, and limit not necessarily, however, right. Limited however Put it you behind want to closed doors. Yeah, exactly. Not necessarily to the public, you know, yeah, but so. someone's, someone's got to be able to see it. And, and you know, it didn't stop with Vindman. Um, testimony no, I mean, I think Sondland was the, the star of the hearings, like as far as uh, having the most pertinent information being like the, the big witness. Absolutely. Know? So Sondland says... Uh, I think the only readouts I remember seeing were the ones from my team, which were very innocuous and did not represent what was actually said on the call that I found out once the transcript was released. Um, and there's there's again, you know, casting doubt uh, and aspersion on on what actually happened. And we already know that Vinman was horrified by what he'd heard. And grabbed an ethics attorney in tow, also is an ethics attorney himself, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and approached uh, Eisen, Eisenberg. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, this is this is Sondland just kind of corroborating what, what was going on. Sondland says, Mr. Giuliani's requests were a quid pro quo arranging a White House visit for President Zelensky. Mr. Giuliani demanded that Ukraine make a public statement announcing the investigations of the 2016 election DNC server and Burisma. Mr. Giuliani was expressing the desires of the President of the United States, and we know these investigations were important to the President. Yeah. Um, I I don't think there's much more you can say. And the funny thing is that, along with this testimony, the Republicans answered uh, asked some some very pointed questions 
uh, you had Mike Turner asking, did the president ever say to you, please withhold this aid in order to compel an investigation? And Volcker, you know, answers no, yeah. because he didn't say that. And, and so Fox News runs, see, no quid pro quo. Because that's how that's how normal people talk. They always say it exactly in the terms that are the most Right. Daring. To me, this is like asking a witness like, who heard gunshots and saw a guy run out of a house with a gun. So did the gunman come up to you and tell you that he shot him in the face? Yeah. And he says, well, no. And you're, you're wiping your hands. Case closed. Yeah. That's it, folks. Or it's, like, it's, like, it's like if a mob boss was like, I want you to murder him with a Colt 45 on the <laughs> right, corner of right. 7th and Downing. You know? <laughs> right. This is just, it's just absolutely ridiculous to me that anyone with a with a brain can can watch that and think oh well that's all there is to it you know well, he said I, no it's like i i think they were grasping at anything i mean tr- they they all kind of celebrated uh volker and morrison's testimony you oh know, they, they did they, they trump and, and that's, tweeted that it was a that it was a great victory today was a great day for republicans yeah and and uh, hey those were actually the republican there were some of the republican witnesses that schiff actually called uh were were those two uh, but the thing to remember is that Volker says, in retrospect, he thinks that is what happened. He tries to maintain that he didn't understand that there was a link between Burisma and Hunter Biden. Like he he's trying to say, well, I didn't realize that like Burisma meant Hunter Biden. Mm. I wasn't really aware that he worked there. So I don't I don't know what he's trying to get out there. And then the thing about Morrison is long before we even talk about Trump or whatever, Morrison is a state department official who is on the record as saying that pretty much whatever the president does, uh, in regards to uh, foreign policy is constitutionally protected. Right. Morrison is of the unitary executive school, uh, of thought that, uh, that almost holds the president as a King. And basically, so even if Trump did this, well, that's his prerogative as president of the United States of America, according to Morrison. So I'm not saying that like Morrison, um, e- even if we take out, you know, whether or not he might have lied or something like that before he ever sat down, all his recollections and stuff are biased and tainted by that view that there can't have possibly have been anything right. wrong in what because Trump anything did. he does is, yeah, is so, I perfectly mean, it was, acceptable. It was, it was a stupid witness to call anyway. And speaking of stupid witnesses, uh, let's talk about Fiona Hill. No, I'm 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 being a little harsh. Fiona Hill uh, did you know she testified? I think on the last day, and she did uh, provide some background, and you know uh, that was her understanding of you know what exactly was going down with the Ukraine is that it was. Uh, you know, a shakedown for Trump's personal gain and then so on and so forth. But I have a little bit of a problem with Fiona Hill uh, being called to testify. And in a sense, I think it was because uh, John Bolton is refusing to, you know, answer a subpoena to Congress, you know, believe it or not. So uh, it was a way to kind of get John Bolton's perspective into the record without wait, John wait, Bolton Cause, having cause to testify. Fiona Hill is like a John Bolton protege, right? Like, well, yeah, let's talk about Fiona Hill. Man. <laughs> Fiona Hill is is widely accepted to be a Russia hawk. Uh, she is one of those people who believes that uh, Russia is the great threat uh, to America, and uh, they basically Putin is just salivating and chomping at the bit for the chance to absolutely destroy us. And while some of that may be true, she tends to take the John Bolton-esque approach 
uh, to foreign policy that brought you such hits as, you know, I don't know, the Iraq war, <laughs> Afghanistan and, and stuff like that. Um, and so when she goes to testify, she immediately leads out uh, with this statement that says, you know, that, hey, you know, everybody was raving about where she's like, I'm not going to participate in you pushing the fiction of Ukraine having meddled in our elections and, and Russia is the big enemy and stuff. And well, here's the thing, Fiona, it, it's, it's not a fiction. The, the, the Ukrainian ambassador did pass information to right. somebody who passed information to the DNC, but like her whole testimony and her statement and everything seemed like a way to rope Russia back into this, to, mm. to, to bring Russia back into this. And so I think it's important to kind of look at the context of all this craziness, man, like the, the, the Russia thing, the Ukraine thing, us, the 2016 election, uh, this, this phone call, all that stuff. A lot of this goes all the way back to the fall of the Soviet Union, right? As the Soviet Union is crumbling and, and they're, they're trying to find a way to bring it down gently without it, just Russia turning into uh, what eventually happened to Yugoslavia, like sectarian violence and stuff. Um, George H.W. Bush, Bush and Gorbachev are negotiating. Like, you know, what's what's going to happen here? What are you going to do with these forces here? We're going to put this there. And at one point, H.W. Uh, Bush, through James Baker, told Mikhail Gorbachev unequivocally that NATO would not move east of Germany, the NATO alliance. <laughs> we promised him that NATO would not move east of Germany. And, and the reason that that's important is when it comes to the Ukraine and Georgia and stuff, if you're looking at it militarily and strategically and all that stuff, that is the underbelly of Russia. Right. If you can get military forces into the Ukraine, you can put a lick on Russia. Now, you probably can't take Russia as Napoleon and Hitler and everybody else has ever found out, but you can still, you can hurt them awful bad, right? So the Ukraine is super important to them. 1994, Bill Clinton gets in office. It's like two years later. They immediately start trying to bring Ukraine because, you know, U.S. promises are, are as good as gold. And the NATO. And it was because of people like John Bolton. Like, they never stopped fighting the Cold War. You know what I mean? So that, so it pissed off Yeltsin. It, it, part of that gave rise to Putin. And a lot of Putin's anger uh, this entire time that he's been in office. I'm not saying he's justified or, you know, the things that he's done or right or anything. Um, is stems from that broken promise. You said... That if we dissolved the Warsaw Pact, which was the Russian equivalent of NATO, you wouldn't move NATO eastward. And you immediately moved NATO eastward. Yeah. We can't trust you. So, you know, this thing in Ukraine, it's gone back and forth ever since then. In 2004, the, the Russian government was accused of poisoning uh, one of the uh, presidential candidates. Uh, still got elected, election. right? And he, and he did actually. He still got elected, but uh, he's actually disfigured from whatever poisoning that got used, right? Um, but then, you know, we move forward to 2010. Uh, that guy was pro-Western. Sorry, obviously that's why, I'm, you know, Russia is alleged to have poisoned him. But we move forward to 2010 and a more, um, not necessarily pro-Russian. I mean, he ended up being pro-Russian, but more anti-EU is a better way to say it. Uh, candidate gets elected in the Ukraine. And what do you know? He starts doing, he gets elected. The elections are widely considered to be fair and free. I mean, as fair and free as they are in a country like the Ukraine these days. <laughs> and, um, 
And he starts doing what he was elected to do. He starts like backing away from the EU. The EU hits him with a trade deal. And he says, I don't know. I need time to think. I don't, I don't think we want to take part of that. And all of a sudden there's a popular uprising in the Ukraine. Oh, you don't say. That eventually sees him de- uh, deposed and was actually supported by the Obama administration and by the EU. They, they immediately vocalized support. At one point we have transcripts of U.S. State Department officials and ambassadors talking about what the government's going to look like after this guy is deposed. And they actually supported a right-wing neo-Nazi group in Ukraine who helped push this president guy out because it didn't matter to them who was there on the ground. What mattered was getting control of Ukraine, right. was pissing off Russia. So that's what largely all this, you know, so Russia used that to take the Crimea and then everybody, you know, what's funny about that is if you go and you look up stories from 2014, when Russia went into Crimea, Putin said, then he brought up the promise, the NATO promise. And you can find article after article after article. You can go anywhere you want to go. Washington Post, New York Times, Vox. I don't care where you go. You will find articles talking about uh, Gorbachev misheard. Uh, it's, he's misremembering. No, there was no promise. People unequivocally saying, no, we never promised that, right? 2017, there are documents declassified that spelled out plain as day. We absolutely promised, and the terminology was, we will not, NATO will not move one inch eastward is what we told Mikhail Gorbachev. Yeah. So so you have to Putin's not a good guy. Look at look at LGBTQ rights in Russia, right? Putin's not a good guy. I'm not saying he's a good guy. What I am saying is that you also have to understand his point of view. You also have to understand where he's coming from and you do have to accept the fact that there is a consensus in this country that wants to keep the cold war going. Right. It wants if there's to portray one thing Russia as the bad consistent guy. Consistent among Democrat administrations and Republican administrations. There is a core of people that continually work together uh, to, to destroy Russia or at least throw, you know, sticks in the spokes of their wheels at every opportunity. Absolutely. And Fiona Hill is, is very representative of that cabal. And I found it very interesting that even though she resigned seven days before that phone call took place, she still got called. Mm. To testify, you know what I'm saying? It's interesting to me that Russia still got centered, you know? Well, it's it's not that interesting because this entire process from both sides um, amounts to largely political theater. Yeah. Um, I think that if you think Republicans having no candidates running into 2020 are going to vote to remove Trump from office, like you're you're crazy. They're gonna yeah. call it a witch hunt. They're gonna go, oh, this was no big deal. Um, and there's just enough evidence, you know, of that that I think they can get by uh, with public support for that. Well, I I disagree with with Sondland. Again, I'm I'm a I'm a put my hat there. I think when he says it's it's such a large thing where he says that they just had to announce the investigation because that was my fear. You brought up earlier uh, the erosion of impeachment, and and I share a lot of those concerns. I was afraid that you know we're going to kick this over to the Senate. The Senate's going to say you know this is all just you know partisan hackery, and of course not. And no, what he did is fine. He was actually trying to investigate corruption because if it would have been up in the air. 
then, it, you know, it, it would have been up in the air. You can say, oh, well, there's not much to the Ukrainian ambassador meddling story. Or you can say that, you know, Hunter Biden actually started, uh, you know, three months after the investigation into Burisma began. Right. But I can come back at you and I can say, yeah, but she did actually pass information along. And right. As far and as Hunter, yeah, Biden, Hunter Biden was sitting he's on. He's still making a ridiculous amount of money. And oh, by the way, the guy who owns Burisma, he was an attorney on retainer for him before he worked for Burisma. Woof. So, you know what I mean? Like, and we can play that game all the way down. But that's why Sondland uh, is, is so important, because if that happened, if the Senate wasn't clearly acting in a partisan way when they dismissed this impeachment, because they're, they're, they're going to. I mean, we, we pretty much know that, unless there's some wild stuff that happens. Um, if they weren't clearly acting in a partisan way, then we are looking at the erosion of impeachment and it becoming just a tool for one side to club the other side over the head with. I mean, if, if you go back to even Clinton, right? Clinton did perjure himself, right? There, there is something that Clinton did that was that was criminally wrong. Sure. And and Trump here has done something that is criminally wrong. But what we have to remember is back during Clinton's impeachment, Lindsey Graham w- was very specific about the fact that you don't have to actually commit a crime to be impeached. Right. So it's really cool that that's a part of impeachment, that it's high crimes and misdemeanors, and it doesn't have to necessarily be a crime. And if there is just this general sense that the president's screwing up, that the that Congress can move to impeach Yeah, him. I think it was Ben Franklin who said it could be reserved for a president who was just making an ass of himself. Right. But with that comes responsibility. You can't use it in a partisan way if the standard is low like that, right? You can't just use it as a political tool. And I, I think I'm so glad, like I said, that, that Sondland actually ended up saying that because that very much so was my fear of where this well, was Well, I feel like none of that, that nuance is not going to matter to Republicans, whether we're talking about Republicans in the Senate or we're talking about Republicans on the ground who are watching Fox News. Mm. Um, I feel like that nuance is just going to get ignored and they're going to go, well, Sondland just said that because, you know, they needed a linchpin and, and there's your linchpin and, and look at the improprieties between, you know, with Adam Schiff, uh, denying that he knew the whistleblower. It's obviously that they, you know, that they cooked up this stuff and, and Volker's text message was all part of the plan. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like that's where they're going to go with it. I think, I think the polls, since that testimony, especially among independents and, and so on and so forth, uh, belie that notion. I think you're absolutely right about the base, you know, especially the QAnon base. But, uh, you know, the base as a whole, they're going because they don't want to be wrong. Sure. And, and you know, and That's I think. their guy. It, again, Drain the swamp. Like we said, it's part of that, that team politics stuff. Um, they don't want to be wrong. So they're going to cling to anything that they can. I get that. But I think increasingly. Uh, you know, the you think folks the on the fringes are, are falling off? Uh, no, no, no. What I'm saying is, I think that independents who were willing to give the benefit of the doubt are coming around. That's what I mean. The I folks think that, on, that aren't part of that core, right? Yeah, yeah, no, are, absolutely. Are yeah, off. yeah. And, and and some of the mainstream uh Republicans who uh, you know, were kind of somewhere in between a never Trumper and a you know, Trump supporter. I think they're peeling off. I think even some of the Trump supporters are peeling off. How, how does a Republican Party 
you know, going into 2020 recover from from an impeachment? I mean, say they do say they do decide to do their duty and uphold the Constitution here um, and and do the right thing and, and remove Trump from office. Um, how do they even approach 2020 from here? You've got, you know, 15 Democratic candidates, four of which do pretty well against Trump. They've got no one else in the race. Well, they technically there are uh, two other people running. There's uh, Joe Walsh, right? Is is mounting a campaign, and uh, uh, I can't remember his name. Bill, of course, you can't exactly. Bill Sumner, well, that's yeah. kind of my point. You can't even remember his name. Well, right? but I mean, you would think so. If impeachment happened, uh, if they did remove Trump from office, uh, Pence is in the running. Uh, they get bolstered up. I mean, you've Fair got enough. until July. You've got until the convention. Yeah. Uh, now, granted, that's a lot of apparatuses and whatnot to get moving and stuff. Um, but I mean, they'd field a candidate. But I think, I think whether it's here with impeachment, whether it's at you know whether he loses the election, whether he gets reelected, and then you know after his his two terms are up, the Republican Party is in serious shit uh, going forward for a long time, a long time. Yeah. I, I want to stress and I know that I am notoriously hard on Jimmy Carter, but it was the only, in my opinion, Jimmy Carter kind of paved the way for, for Reagan to happen by being such an ineffective president. Because otherwise, I mean, dude, when, when the Republicans won uh, control of Congress in 94, I mean, that was the first time in like 30 or 40 years right. that Republicans had had. And, you know, and the Nixon thing really didn't help. So, I mean, this whole Trump presidency, like going forward and, you know, the way some of the millennials and Generation Z kids are, you know, the way they're polling and stuff as they're growing up. Um, I think the Republicans are in hot water for, for years to come. Yeah. Um, that being said, I, I will, you know, as we kind of put together our, you know, final thoughts or whatever on this. I will say that I still strategically uh, would not have done this now because what what you're talking about, the people who are going to latch on to the fact that Trump got a raw deal and that this is all just the deep state and, yep. and you know, a concerted effort and all that stuff. Doing this now in an election year, I would have just went and squared up with him for the election. I would I would let it ride. There are people who are part of the resistance, part of the Democrats, who since the man got elected said that they're seeking an impeachment. Oh, sure. And and to go into this one. The mainstream media has been all over. I mean, The View, the day after he was elected, you yeah. know, all the talking heads on The View were like, oh, we're going to impeach him. He's yeah. got to, don't worry, folks, he's going to be impeached. I mean. And and, and so that's what, and, 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 to go not for this, the view is to go for this now in election year. It's it's just like him paraphrasing the thing at the beginning. It just casts that pall over it. If you were going <sighs> to impeach Trump, I'm one hundred percent. If you're going to impeach Trump, hit him. What was that? Eight, nine, ten months ago, maybe a year when when it came out that he absolutely instructed Don McGahn <laughs> to lie to the American people. Right. <laughs> like Don McGahn goes and testifies to the Mueller probe, comes back, tells him what he said, and he said, "Okay, this is what Trump says." What I need you to do is go out and issue a press release and say that you said this. Say not anything that. but that, right? That right there, to me, it's, it's not technically a crime. I, do, I don't think. I mean, you know, it doesn't somebody, have to be. But but that right there, to me, is conduct for which you can impeach that man. Right. He told a, a government official to knowingly lie to the American people for personal gain. Right. So if you wanted to impeach him, impeach him then. There's there's one other concern I have with 
with impeachment actually moving forward. And maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems like we would set a precedent for uh, the, the president and the administration being unable to order investigations into corruption mm. for anyone running for office. And I yeah. think that goes for, you know, Democrat, Republican Congress all along the board. I'm worried that a positive impeachment will kind of inculcate this idea that you just you can't look we can't yeah. we can't investigate him he's a democrat we're republicans or at least like, it's it's too politically fraught for you to attempt it. exactly it'd have a chilling, effect, have a chilling yeah. effect i'm i'm super concerned about that and it's and it's a shame because well i i think he was wrong to do this and i and i don't think he should you know he he should be president um but you got to worry about the implications you know in the future no and there's and there's a ton of those man i wonder you know when trump's gone um, if we're going to continue to see uh, all the leaks that we've seen with, <laughs> through this. And, and so is that going to keep up? Like, in a sense, I hope it does, but I don't think it will. No, we get a Sanders in office and the leaks stop. And and, and, and is the media still going to be, you know, doggedly pursuing a president the way that they've gone after Trump and stuff? Like in, in, in Well, actually, if it's years? Sanders, they probably will. So, so when, well, when Sanders gets elected, do you think, like, if he decides to, you know, two weeks into his term, if he tells the EPA to be quiet while they change policy and stuff, that we're going to hear about the dark clouds <laughs> dark of Mordor? Cloud of Mordor. And, and, and if we don't, why aren't we? That's what I'm worried about with this <sighs> impeachment, you know, and especially when I look back at, at our show from its inception to now is that for me, what Trump did doesn't wipe out all the crap that I've seen the media and, and the Democrats and all that stuff do since the 2016 election. Right. And everything that they've done doesn't wipe out the crap that Trump has done. Right. And, but, and I think people that have followed the show from the beginning have seen us kind of kind of struggle with this as we've covered you know Trump being maligned and right. and the fake news. You know we yeah. have we have ourselves struggled with like, eh, how do we defend this guy right. when he's such when he's such a turd? Yeah. But I I think the answer comes. We have to accept that both things are true. I mean, yeah. it's you just have to accept that that yes, these guys are crap and they're playing the political game. But these guys are crap too. Right. And well, and that's the scary part is I think that a, a potential thing that can happen with this impeachment is Trump gets put out of office. I see we were right. Trump's uh, completely, big sigh of relief. Trump's, yeah. Trump. Now we can go back to everything being okay with our drone strikes and, and all the other bullshit that goes on because <laughs> constitutional wars. Because I want you to think, I want you to think about this, right? And, and this is, uh, you know, in a sense it's class, classic. What about right? But I, I want to highlight this and I want to ask, do you think, this is going to be true going forward, right? In 2012, Obama, speaking on a what's called a hot mic, he had a mic on, didn't realize it was on, and he's talking to the Russian president. Yeah. And he said, <clears throat> on all these issues, but particularly missile defense, this can be solved. But it's important for him to give me space. And he's talking about Putin. And he's talking about, this is in the context of the 2012 election when Mitt Romney was the one saying that Russia was the most dangerous threat that we've yep. ever faced, and Obama yep. is soft on Russia. 
Obama saying, look, back off me till I get elected. Back off me. And we'll we'll fix your problems with policy. He says, this is my last election. After my election, I have more flexibility. Woof. So that is a quid pro quo. And at the time, uh, Republicans were like, oh, this is, you know, this is another shift Nunez thing. Republicans were like, oh, this is a threat to national security. Look at this. He's worried about getting elected and he's willing to be soft on missile stuff just so he can get elected again. Right. And every, but, but that was it. It wasn't this widespread media coverage. When, when this hit about the Ukraine quid pro quo thing in the media, it's, it's a, it's what despots do. It's one of the great challenges right. to our democracy well, of that's all time. Part of, that's part of what this narrative building enables, right? It, when you, when you start building a narrative about a despot, about a, a dictator, um, about Hitler, about fascism, uh, when you find any piece that fits into that puzzle, you can cram it right on into that puzzle. Mm-hmm. So th- that puzzle didn't exist for Obama. Right. Um, you know, it wasn't a giant media machine um, calling him uh, a dictator. It was right. a small media machine. There was a media. There was machine. right. There yeah. was a yeah. side, but it wasn't. It wasn't as big. It wasn't as in your face. It wasn't right. fourteen channels. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't every single newspaper. Um, so. You know, that's just, that's kind of where we are. So like, well, what, what I wonder is, I guess the point that I'm trying to get to is, so now what happens the next time, right? Because we do, you know, like we said, Biden told Ukraine, if you don't get rid of Shokin, we're going to hold back a billion dollars. And the, and, and the reason that that's okay is because it was a widely accepted consensus, right? Sure. Like within, within, within government. Within the State Department, so, right. So with the shifts in the Nunez's of the world and with, with a, with a threshold so loose and open to interpretation as widely held consensus mm. in the government. Because, I mean, and, what does that mean? Does that mean, like, what if the CIA ain't on board? Or what if the State Department's on Or what if part of the State Department's not on board? What happens the next time a president holds back that money? Are we going to go through this whole thing all over again? And if we don't, why didn't we? Mm. Because this is the existential threat to our democracy. Mm. It raises a lot more questions than answers. And I hope that going forward, people will drop that team sport shit and try to find a, 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 you know, it can, it can be a different opinion than mine, but a consistency in politics that isn't tied to the side that you root for. It's not, I'm right because I'm a Democrat. It's I'm right because these are the things I believe. I'd love to see it. I don't, I think we're far from it, but uh, you know, we can always hope. Uh, I guess with that, we are going to kick it over to our fact checker extraordinaire, Beanzo, who has been diligently listening and picking apart all of the ways we've screwed up, all the lies we've told, uh, all the idiosyncrasies, et cetera, et cetera. Idiosyncrasies? Is that even? Yeah, no, I don't think <laughs> no. so. But hey, There's that's one. something he can bust down. <laughs> all right, Beans, what do you got for us today? Wow, fellas. I'm actually impressed. No idiosyncrasies isn't the word you were looking for. In theory, that was some brilliant late-game whataboutism heroics you tried to pull there. But, I gotta say, this was an excellent episode of the podcast. After years of Trump apologism, you guys finally put together a cohesive, honest, and factually accurate episode about the mobster-in-chief. Was it perfect? Of course not. And considering the point of shoddy showmanship and dishonesty you started from, how could we rightfully expect it to be? But hey, we all have flaws. I just far less than you. So 
Great show, buddies. This episode has officially earned my approval. And for that, you're welcome. Fellas, back to you. <laughs> you're welcome. You dishonest partisan hack. All right, Troy Gowdy. You don't have anything to say about this episode because now we're on your narrative, right? Adam Schiff himself. You are the Adam Schiff of fact-checking, man. And and look at what am I doing? He's actually, he's got me asking him to critique mm-hmm. me because mm-hmm. I'm so consistent and honest. I Tell you you're what I'm ridiculous. Gonna do. I'm going to go home. I'm going to put on Lover by Taylor of, Swift. Of course you're going to put on Lover by Taylor Swift. I am going to chill out. You know what's interesting, man? My my political candidate for president actually endorsed Taylor Swift and said she oh, was right about the whole Scooter Braun In her cyberbullying of Scooter Braun? She did not. Man's getting death threats. Bully. She, is, she is sticking up for the small guy. She has always been considered a bully. She puts things about people she has relationships. Oh my God, I'm debating Taylor Swift with you. See, I'm not doing the damn in segments anymore. Hello, folks. This is Theory, one-third of the Sense and Theory podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as we did making it, but I want to take a moment to remind you that the discussion doesn't end here. Pop on over to senseandtheorypodcast.com where you'll find all the necessary links to tell us how brilliant and or stupid we are on social media. If you like what we're doing here and want to help us with the crippling cost of all the writers in Beanzo's contract, check out our page at patreon.com slash senseandtheory. If you can't chip in financially but still want to show your support, you can always rate and review us on iTunes or just tell your friends and family about us. Either way, thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks.